Well, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Good morning to those of you uh, following along online and to all of you here in the building. It's great to be back with you after a couple of weeks of holiday. A very warm welcome as as we gather to worship God together. As we come to worship God this morning, um, perhaps for you this week has been a great week. Maybe it's been uh, full of sunshine and good times. Maybe, though, it's been difficult. Maybe it's been quite challenging and quite challenging and stressful, perhaps. Not really sure what tomorrow will bring. But as we continue our study this morning in the Gospel of John, we come to one who is our Good Shepherd. The one that we can find rest in, the one who calls us to come to him, our Lord Jesus. He calls us to to come to him, to find rest in him, rest for our souls. As Jesus says these words in the Gospel of Matthew. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's pray together as we come to God. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our good shepherd, that you call us to come to you, that we can have rest for our souls. Lord, we pray that you would help us to lay down the burdens, lay down the the things that are spinning in our minds and in our hearts, that we would come to you and find rest. We pray that as we come to you, we would worship you with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, with all of our strength, that we would be transformed more into your image. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us spend some time in prayer together. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, thank you for the privileges that we have as your children. I thank you that we're able to enter into the throne room of grace through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that we don't come to you as strangers, but we come to you as your children, cherished by you and eager for more of your grace more of your goodness, and more of your love. We pray, Lord, that you would fill our hearts with your love this morning, that we would leave this place having met with you, the good shepherd who leads us beside quiet waters and refreshes our soul. Thank you, Lord, that you are our good shepherd and that in you we lack nothing, that you lead us You guide us, refresh us, restore us, comfort us, provide for us in everyday needs. And that your love and goodness will follow us all the days of our lives. And in light of your love, Lord, please forgive us. Forgive us for our fickle, selfish and sinful hearts. Forgive us when we think that we deserve more than we have when we think we've worked hard to earn your favor in some way to earn your love thinking that we need to do something to deserve it 
Lord, forgive us of our pride, our moments of, of pride towards you, of envy, of jealousy, of lust, of anger, of impatience towards others. <coughs> Help us, Lord, to walk in humility, in godliness, in graciousness, and in gratitude with all that you've done for us, knowing that every good gift comes from your hand. Everything we have is a gift of grace from you, our Heavenly Father. And so, Lord, we are indebted to you. We give you great thanks. Help us, therefore, have joy-filled and generous hearts as we give our tithes and offerings to you by faith. Help us, Lord, to give our best to you as you have given your best to us by giving us your Son. And so we pray, receive our offerings, that you would be honored and glorified through them. And Lord, we pray for those who are suffering and struggling right now. We pray for John and Abby and one of the teachers at the college in Nigeria who suddenly died following an accident. And Lord, we pray that you would bring comfort and strength to his wife and his children and all those grieving the loss of such a godly man. I pray for John and Abby that you would be close to them at this time. We pray for the people of Ukraine. Lord, bring peace to that place, we pray. And we pray for those in urgent need in Pakistan as a result of the floods. May you provide opportunities for Christians to to love and to serve the people there. We pray for all those who are suffering right now, maybe with the anxiety of the future in light of rising costs. We help us, Lord, help us to entrust ourselves wholeheartedly to you in this time, that you are the Lord of all things and that we can trust you. We pray for our government, for the appointment of a new prime minister. And we pray, Lord, that they would live up to that name, prime minister, first servant, that they would truly serve our country in a challenging time. Father, we pray for the ministries in the church as well. We pray for the dads and talks group meeting in October. We pray that many would come along to that as we build relationships and share the hope of Jesus with them. We pray for our young people in returning to school, that they would shine for Jesus in the place that you've put them. And Lord, as we come to your word now, may we not just hear the voice of a man, but the voice of God. We pray for Leone as she reads and for Sarb as he preaches. We pray that you would give him boldness and clarity and conviction of heart as we hear your word. May we be changed by it. May it sink into our hearts that we would apply it and live it out as we seek to be conformed more into the image of your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. This morning's reading is from John chapter 10, verses 1 to 21. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. 
but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because his hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he's demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Leonie, thanks so much for reading for us. Uh, Before we come to the text, let's just take a moment uh, to pray for God to help us uh, this morning. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much uh, for your word. Uh, Father, I pray that you would help me as I speak this morning. Help me to speak uh, clearly uh, and boldly and faithfully the words that you have given me. Uh, Father, help us all uh, to be attentive. Help us uh, to listen. And uh, Father, I pray that uh, you would be at work in our hearts. Uh, Warm them. uh, Remind us afresh of your love for us and of our desperate need for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we are continuing our series as we work our way through this section of John's Gospel. Uh, And just a reminder that John's Gospel is an eyewitness testimony of the life and ministry of uh, the Lord Jesus. And in the past few weeks we've been looking at the things that Jesus has been saying uh, about who he is. Now we've looked at uh, Jesus telling the people that only he can quench the thirst that they have in their lives. That only Jesus can provide the light by which we can see, and that uh, Jesus uh, not only provides the food of life that we need, uh, but he also is the one who can set us free. And Jesus, as he's been teaching these things, there has been a growing sense of hostility towards him. And that controversy wasn't so much about the things that Jesus did, but it was rooted in what Jesus said about who he is, about who he is. And as we enter chapter 10, Jesus is still addressing uh, the religious elite, uh, the people uh, who were responsible for the spiritual well-being of the people of Israel, uh, the people who were shepherding the people of Israel. And to them, 
Jesus says that he is the true shepherd, not them. That he's the good shepherd and that they are thieves and they're robbers. And so the controversy about who Jesus says he is continues to grow. And as we come to our passage this morning, I want us to see three things. Firstly, I'd like to just pause for a moment and reflect on what it means for us to be sheep. Uh, look at the good shepherd. And then finally, look at the hope uh, that we have because of Jesus being the good shepherd. Oh, <laughs> steady, steady. Got ahead of myself. Now, Jesus speaks of himself uh, as being a shepherd and that we are sheep, which is true. Now, I wonder, give away with the image, but when you think of yourself as sheep, when you think of yourself as sheep, what image immediately comes to mind? When you think of yourself as sheep, what image comes to mind? Yeah. And I bet for some of us, yeah, it's this. Yeah. It's a, a, an adorable, a cute, a fluffy quadruped. Yeah. And you think, ah, oh, isn't that just lovely? And the trouble is that as soon as we have that image, in our mind, it's easy for us to see ourselves, to see, for me to see myself, the sheep, as being cute, fluffy, and simply adorable. And if that's the case, you are just a small hop, skip, and a gamble to thinking that God loves me because I'm adorable. God loves you, that's true. But it's not because we are cute and it's not because we are adorable. Let me tell you seven things uh, about sheep that can slip our minds as we think about what Jesus says about us as sheep. Okay, seven quick things. Firstly, sheep, they're prone to wandering. Yeah, without any clear sense of direction, time or boundary. Uh, they're not like pigeons, you let them, let them go and they'll work their way home. No, sheep are prone to wandering. Secondly, they're driven by their appetites. Uh, they're motivated, aren't they, by the nearest patch of delicious looking grass. And that bit of grass just a little bit further away, it's that bit of grass that always looks more appealing. Even when it's on the edge of a rocky escarpment, they will still go for it, even if it's a small misstep away from death. Uh, a few years ago, we holidayed in the, uh, in the Lake District, and as we drove along a road by a sharp escarpment, there at the bottom of this escarpment were dead sheep, fallen to their death at the thrill of that next bit of lovely grass. Thirdly, sheep will blindly follow other sheep. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's onto a busy road uh, or onto a mountain edge, they will just follow uh, fourthly, sheep are utterly defenseless. Uh, they don't have sharp claws. Uh, they don't have tough hides. They are easy prey. Lunch on a stick. Uh, they don't, uh, they, they, they live outside and they don't have a desire to keep clean or to wash. Uh, untreated, their coats will fill with bugs and they'll smell. Sheep are stubborn. Uh, they won't be told what to do. Uh, they will do what they want to do. Next, if you corner a sheep, if you try to pull them out of a bush that they're stuck in or in a dangerous place to pull them to safety, they'll bite. 
They do not want to be rescued. Another one's popped into my mind. Uh, Sheep aren't that bright. And the Bible says, we are sheep. And as we dwell on what sheep are actually like, hopefully it does at least two things, right? Firstly, it should humble us into thinking not too highly of ourselves, right? And secondly, if you're even just the tiniest bit self-reflective, it should cause you to think, gosh, I really need a shepherd. I really need a shepherd. So let's think about shepherds generally and then the good shepherd. But before we consider Jesus as the good shepherd, let's do the same exercise with shepherds. Uh, here are six things that we might say about shepherds. Right? A shepherd is fully invested in his sheep. The shepherd's hopes, desires, joy and delight are all bound up with the sheep. Uh, if you like, the heartfelt delight of the shepherd is in his sheep. The wealth, if you like, of the shepherd is in his sheep. The sheep are not just his livelihood, they're his life. Uh, Secondly, uh, the shepherd seeks to protect his sheep from all dangers. Uh, Dangers that the sheep seem blind to. Uh, He'll step between a wild animal, a thief, and he will save his sheep. Uh, He'll build pens to keep the sheep together. And safe so that they don't wander off into the darkness. A place that sheep can rest without fear. Uh, Thirdly, whatever the sheep need, food, whatever it is, the shepherd endeavors to meet it. He ensures the sheep are clean, they're free of disease, and he tends to their infirmities. The shepherd meets the needs of his sheep. Fourthly, the shepherd knows his sheep. Fifthly, the shepherd leads his sheep. In the Middle East, uh, the sheep actually know the sound of the voice of their shepherd. The shepherd will stand outside the pen. He'll either speak or he'll sing. And his sheep will come out and they will follow him. He leads from the front. The sheep are not harried by dogs that look like wolves. The shepherd leads his sheep. And the shepherd keeps his sheep together. So in short, the shepherd does everything for the sheep. The shepherd is involved in all areas of the lives of the sheep. The shepherd is completely bound to and interwoven with his sheep. But before we dig into the uh, the conflict, it's worth just saying a little bit about the context here. Why, you may have asked yourself, Does Jesus think that telling the Pharisees about sheep and shepherds at this point is important? Why does he go to sheep and shepherds here? Now, the settings for the miracles that John does and his teach that Jesus does uh, and the teachings have been uh, the settings hugely, hugely important all the way through John's gospel. So in chapter two, uh, pictures of the messianic banquet at the very end of time. Well, we see those at a wedding banquet in chapter two. The discussion with the Samaritan woman about her need for living water, living water that only Jesus can provide, take place on a mountain 
where the Samaritans are worshipping. Healings are done on the Sabbath to point to the authority of Jesus. The feeding of the 5,000 in the wilderness at the time of the Passover point to God's freeing and feeding of his people. And that's the place where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. At the Feast of Booths in chapter 7, remembering the time that God provided water from the rock in the wilderness, Jesus declares that he is the one who provides that living water. The festival where people remember that God was the light that led his people through the wilderness in John chapter 8. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. That he is the one who sets us free. So the backdrop for the teaching that John gives us through the ministry of Christ are really, really important. And this time it's absolutely no different. This encounter that we read about takes place at something called the Feast of Dedication. So just a little bit of history here for two minutes. Uh, Israel had been overrun by Alexander the Great some 300 years before Jesus was born. And gradually, over time, the Jewish leaders adopted more and more of the practices of the Greek, uh, the, the Greek invaders. Some of the priests and religious leaders, well, they became corrupt as they followed the ways of the Greek-speaking world rather than the truth-speaking God. And that led to the demise of temple worship. Eventually, the Greek soldiers desecrated the temple by placing idols there uh, and killing pigs in the temple and even outlawing Jewish practices like circumcision. And eventually there was a revolt. The Greeks were overthrown and the temple was cleaned and rededicated. And that's what the eight days of this festival where Jesus is now teaching is remembering. It's a time in the festival where all of the synagogues were asking hard questions about failed leadership, about how in the past those people who were supposed to be looking out for the the best interests of the people placed in their care, the priests and the religious elite, how they had failed so badly God's people, God's sheep. For eight days, the synagogues were full of sermons and Bible readings critiquing the leaders of Israel. Now the people reflected on how the current leaders were doing in the shepherding of God's people. Were they good or were they bad shepherds? And one of the readings that they would have uh, dwelt on was what that from Ezekiel chapter 34 where God rebukes the leaders of his people Uh, And he says, look, you're just caring for yourselves. You're not looking after the well-being of my sheep. Keep a thumb in John chapter 10. And if you've got your Bibles open, turn back to Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 through 10. Chapter 34 of Ezekiel. And this is what we see. This is what the Lord, the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. Have you not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured? Have you not brought back the strays and searched for the lost? You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Then in verse 9, 
Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and I will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. It's the most stinging rebuke, isn't it? From God against the people who are supposed to be caring for his sheep. The people who are supposed to be shepherds uh, care nothing for the sheep. They care only for themselves. And as a result, this is amazing. God says that he himself will come and rescue and shepherd the flock. He himself is going to come and do that. It was a time when lots of hard questions were being asked about the way the leaders of the nation were behaving, when the people were reading things like this, Ezekiel chapter 34. And it's in that setting, it's in that moment where Jesus comes along and says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus says that when God said that God is going to come and rescue and shepherd his people, Jesus says, that's me. I am the good shepherd. And as he points at his own divine role, he tells the Pharisees that they are thieves and they are robbers. You see, the timing from Jesus could not have been more apposite. The, the, the painful sting in what Jesus says could not have hurt the leaders more. Jesus, the shepherd, has come to bring the best for the sheep. The life of Jesus, the good shepherd, is completely bound, completely interwoven with the sheep. And in that, there's hope. Which brings us to point three. The hope. Uh, we had the, the parable that Jesus read, uh, uh, said to the people here, uh, read for us in verses one through five. Uh, but we see in verse six that the Pharisees didn't really understand what Jesus was saying. Uh, so Jesus unfolds this for them in verses seven uh, through 18. Uh, there's a lot in here, uh, which I hope that when we do, uh, when we gather together in our house groups uh, through the week, that we'll get stuck into it. But for now, I just want to lift out uh, two very brief things. Jesus says that he's the gate, and we see that in verse 7. And then in verses 11 and 14, Jesus says that he's the good shepherd. Firstly, that it's only through Jesus that access to the Father and salvation is offered. Secondly, that the good shepherd leads us to life in all of its fullness. So we read this from verse 8. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus tells the Pharisees and he tells us that Jesus is the gate to the sheep pen. Uh, in those days, uh, sheep pens would have been constructed uh, out of stone and they would have placed thorns uh, along the walls to stop people and animals from climbing over to get in to steal the sheep. The only way in and out was through the gate. And Jesus says that the only way into that sheep pen, the only way into the care, the protection, and the love of the Father, the only way 
to be saved is to enter through the gate that is Jesus. And the only way is to the forgive me. And the only way to come to the Father is through the gate, is through Jesus. All those Jesus says who have come before him, all the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, all those who went before Jesus, but crucially did not point to Jesus. They weren't shepherds. They were thieves and they were robbers. So if you look back, there were many places where we have people and or, um, uh, or, or God himself pointing forward to Jesus. The law was given a points to Jesus. Moses came, he pointed to Jesus. David came, he pointed to Jesus. John the Baptist came, he pointed to Jesus. And notice what the false shepherds want to do. They come to steal, to kill and to destroy. They come to take the things that the sheep have. They seek to use the sheep to advance their own ends. They're people who don't care a jot for the well-being of the sheep. They offer poverty, they offer death, and they offer destruction. Now, we might think this morning, this has got nothing to do with me. What's all this talk of false shepherds or shepherds got to do with me? I'm not a farmer. Uh, I don't own sheep. I don't think I've ever even been close to sheep. But this teaching applies to each and every one of us. Uh, Let me ask you, uh, where in our lives, where in our lives are we called to look after the spiritual well-being of others? Where in our lives are we called to look after the spiritual well-being of others? Uh, It it may be in the home, as we teach our children about the Lord Jesus, or where we're witnesses to an unbelieving spouse. Uh, Maybe in a house group that we lead. Maybe as you read the Bible with a non-believer. Maybe in a prayer group that you're a member of, or a prayer group that you have at work. Uh, Maybe as elders of this church. Where are we exercising spiritual authority? So the question for us is this, are we seeking to use that spiritual authority to point people faithfully to the Lord Jesus and the fullness of life that comes through knowing him? Or do we use our positions of authority to coerce, to marginalize and to manipulate others? Are we more interested in those in our care meeting our needs? massaging our ego than we are about their spiritual health have we deliberately or accidentally come to steal to kill and to destroy if you have any concerns about how spiritual authority is being exercised here at lcbc please do talk to any one of the elders and please also do pray uh, for the elders here at lcbc uh, that we would follow the voice of the good shepherd as we seek to minister to the flock That we would be faithful under shepherds, faithfully pointing each one of you to Jesus and seeking to care for you all and to love you well. So Jesus not only offers salvation to all who will enter through the gate, but in verse 10, he holds out the promise, doesn't he, of life in all its fullness. Life in all of its fullness. What does that mean? And I wonder what stops us from having life uh, in all of its fullness. Uh, One of our deepest rooted problems is that we carry in our hearts a deep sense of not being good enough, of failing to live as we know God wants us to live. 
Uh, if you don't believe in God, uh, then you'll create your own standards and your own rules. And you'll even fail to live up to your own standards of how you would like to live. And the remedy that we so often seek is to prove ourselves. Is to demonstrate to others that we are good enough, that we can live up to our standards. And we try, therefore, to validate ourselves through our own performance. And that's the problem. If we're living up to our standards, then we'll become proud, won't we? And we'll look down our nose at those who can't live up to our standards. But if we fail to meet our own standards, we'll either keep setting them lower and lower or we'll be crushed by our own failures. That if we believe that our own efforts, our own results are the means by which we think that that nagging sense of unworthiness will go, we'll be set on this constant cycle of, of pride when we, fa- when we succeed in living up to our standards and then crushing despair when we fail. And that's a cycle which will go round and round and round and as it does, it will gradually hollow us out. It's a cycle that will steal our life away. It's a cycle that will empty us of life. And I just wonder where in your own life do you see that cycle of pride and despair, pride and despair, where we're trying to earn our salvation rather than trusting on Jesus. And Jesus comes with an honest assessment. He says, yes, yes, we are sheep. We are prone to wander, to follow our appetites. We're stubborn and we're dirty. As sheep, we have no plan, uh, no strategy, no currency. And there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves right with God. That sense of being unworthy is rightly placed. That we do deserve to be cast away from the presence of God for all eternity. Because we have lived for ourselves. We have disregarded God. We have gone our own way. And here's the good news. Even though we deserve nothing less than the eternal judgment of God for our rebellion, God looked down from heaven and his heart was moved to compassion by the plight of his people who had rejected him, the sheep who had wandered. And in love, God sent the one true and good shepherd to gather his sheep, to lead them to rich pastures, And for them to know his voice. That the good shepherd knows us all the way to the bottom. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our failures, our betrayals, our hard-heartedness, our addictions. And yet he willingly laid down his life for us. So great is his love for us. The one who never wandered, the one who was truly obedient, the one who knew the way home. That was the one who took the penalty of our rebellion. He paid the price that we deserve to pay. The good shepherd, you see, came for his sheep, not at the risk of his life, but at the cost of his life. Can you see how Jesus is the good shepherd? His heart is woven with ours. We're his joy. We're his delight. We are his treasure. And so we need to see just how much danger we were in and how lovely we were. And yet, at the very same time, Jesus willingly came and died for us. And if we're able to reflect on that, if we're willing to reflect on that, it will open the door to life in all of its fullness. Because it humbles us into the dirt and it affirms us to the sky at the very same time. 
It humbles us because we know that the only reason we can enter the sheep pen to enter the kingdom of God is because of what Jesus has done. It was nothing that we did. So we can't look down our nose at anyone. And it affirms us to the sky because the one who is God himself, the king of kings, that's the one who put his love on each one of us. And so as we trust in the good shepherd, the things that used to bind us, to enslave us, they lose their grip on us. And to the degree that we're willing to pray those truths hot in our hearts, we'll be empowered by God's spirit to live really, really big lives. You see, if God loves us like that, then we can take the criticism of others. If God loves us like that, we're free to live without the fear of failure. If God loves us like that, we're prepared to risk everything for him. Because his love is not conditional on our performance. We cannot fail. And if God's plan is big enough to include the death of his only son, then we need not be anxious when adversity comes into our lives. And as we see more and more of Jesus on the cross, the good shepherd laying down his life, then we're able to see with a right perspective the pressures and the pleasures of the world. Work, well, it just becomes work. And it's not a means of proving ourselves. Money, well, that becomes just money and not the basis of our security. Our relationships become deeper because we seek the best for others and not to exploit them. Our hopes are eternal because death is not the end. And the more that we can climb into that truth, the truth of what God has done for us, the more we'll be able to receive by the Holy Spirit life in all of its fullness. The picture that uh, the Greek word that's translated full here has uh, the sense of, uh, I love this phrase, beyond the regular number or size. Yeah, a fullness uh, to overflowing. It's, it's beyond measure, a depth that cannot be plumbed, an inexhaustible life, a life that just keeps getting bigger and bigger, richer and richer and more and more beautiful and that's not something that's reserved for the super Christians amongst us that's open to me and it's open to each one of you and I wonder do do you know life like that have you tasted life like that have you felt life like that don't you just long for life like that? If so, come to the Good Shepherd. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for these amazing truths of your love for, uh, for us, sheep that wander. Uh, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that uh, the Good Shepherd came and laid down his life that we might have life eternal. Our Father, pray that by your spirit you would be at work in our hearts. Make those truths real for us. Fan those truths into flame. Cause our very beings, every fibre of our being, to long to live for you. 
that we might have that life in all of its fullness. In Jesus' name, amen.